Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and I am joined by my good buddy, Matt, uh, who normally likes to work down in the lower decks of RTR, but he is really killing our efficiency, so I'm going to take him under my wing, and I'm going to shepherd him along here. So, Matt, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm sure we're all very glad to be rid of 2020 and uh, all the awfulness that was and uh we'll try to get you off to a good start here on rtr yeah i mean i feel like it 2020 as as horrible as all the the stuff was we did get lots of trek you know we got uh the third season of discovery we got lower decks we've got uh picard uh so i mean it was a good year for star trek and i wonder if 2021 is going to bring us any i know that there's kind of talk that they're going to start production on season two of picard and we're hopefully going to get some maybe that star trek prodigy show and stuff but um i definitely don't know that we're going to get three full seasons like we did last year it's possible we might not no I know they started, I think they're supposed to start Picard on like February 1st. I think I read that. Yeah, and I mean, I read that as well, but it's hard to say with, I mean, things are still not 100% back to normal, obviously. So uh, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting, I guess. And I know that the post-production on a lot of these new Trek shows are really long. So hopefully we get something by the summer or the fall. And um, of course, uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3 is actually ending uh, very, very shortly. And so uh, make sure to check back. Matt and I will have our review for Discovery Season 3 coming up as well. Yep, that's right. Uh, check it out. They're usually pretty interesting and, and fun. Yeah, it should be. But I mean, you and I, were vintage Trek guys, and we are back in the year 2000. We are aboard the USS Voyager for the episode Good Shepherd. And uh, why don't you give me a little recall of how I made out with my uh, remembrance and give me a rating out of five efficiency reports. How efficient was I? <laughs> Uh, well, you definitely had all the main stuff. Uh, you mentioned that this was sort of a Voyager-style Lower Decks episode. Uh, there's three crew, mem- crew members that the captain doesn't seem to know. Uh, one, you said, was begrungent, one was eager to please, and one was kind of uh, spacey. Uh, you mentioned there's two men and one woman uh, among them. Uh, and then you'd mentioned that Janeway takes them on an away mission. Things go kind of poorly. There's like this invisible alien and someone gets uh, injured. And in the end, they all just kind of wanted to do their job and not be bothered. And uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. There's a few like little details that you were kind of missing, but I think you got pretty much the main points. Uh, I guess the, the one thing I would maybe have added if I would uh, were to think of it would be Seven's uh, efficiency report sort of spurring this whole thing. Uh, But 
you know, you got a lot of the, all the main stuff. So I'm going to give you uh, four efficiency reports out of five. So you were slightly better than uh, operations uh, report card was because i think she gave harry kim like 76 76 that's only a b plus (laughs) whereas i got an a minus so uh yeah that's why he never gets promoted man yeah poor ensign kim just can't catch a break yeah so this is uh season six which we've actually just recently had an episode from season six so we spent a lot of time on voyager back when we looked at the episode alice uh, this one was only a few episodes after that, uh, which was episode 20. It aired on March the 15th, the year 2000. Uh, the guest stars are Jay Underwood as Mortimer Heron. He's the jerky one. Michael Rees as William Telfer. He's the hypochondriac. And Zoe McKellen as uh, basically the female one, or uh, Tal Celeste. This one was written by Diana Gitto and directed by Winwich Colby. And uh, this is what happens as a brief synopsis. Voyager is running at optimum efficiency. Well, not 100%. It's closer to 76%, according to Seven of Nine. Apparently, the night shift isn't getting enough work done, and there are three lower deck crew members that aren't blending into the crew as well as they could. Captain Janeway takes responsibility for these three falling through the cracks and decides that an away mission with the captain is just the thing to make them feel more important. Luckily, they just so happen to be going to a Delta Flyer survey mission in the next couple of days. So Janeway gathers up Boimler, Tendi. Oh, wait, sorry, that's the wrong show. Uh, She gathers up Heron, Telfer, and Celeste, and off they go. In classic Star Trek fashion, they encounter a mysterious alien entity that risks tearing the ship apart. Janeway has to take charge and use the three Ensign's abilities to get out of the bind. All right, Matt, uh, let's talk a little background uh, information on the Good Shepherd. But uh, you were mentioning that you actually saw a little RTR background information on this particular episode. Uh, What was that that you've discovered? Okay, so as I was watching this episode, as I was sort of scrolling through season six on uh, on Netflix, I noticed that we've had uh, quite a number of uh, season six Voyager episodes. And so I actually counted and we've had this is the sixth one that we've had. And that's the most episodes from a single season that we've had so far on RTR, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, could I name them all? Probably not, but I do know that um, Live Fast and Prosper is the very next episode because I saw it come up in the queue when I was watching it on Netflix. Um, I feel like we had Alice this season. I think we had Collective last season. Um, And um, there must be a couple of others, but they must be early on days. Oh, you know what is... um, No, actually, I, I don't know the other two. Do you happen to remember them? Uh, Ashes to Ashes. Oh yeah, okay. Was from season six and something else. Oh boy, I can't remember the sixth one now. Well, either way, that's still pretty good, and it's uh, just one of those things that's. Uh... Oh, you know what it was? It was Fury. Fury, that's right. Yes. Cass. So yeah, for whatever reason, we just seem to be uh, hitting up a little season six Voyager, which actually I'm not too soured on because I actually really love season six of Voyager, um, and season seven as well. So. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, some background kind of stuff with this, which I kind of thought was interesting because we have spent a lot of last year anyway talking about 
the new Lower Decks show. And of course, everybody always talks about the classic Next Generation episode Lower Decks. But uh, this one is kind of like a Voyager take on it. Um, and something that I had completely 100% forgot about was that Voyager has two Lower Deck episodes. The other one is from the first season, and it was called Learning Curve. Matt, do you remember that episode? Yeah, that was the one where there was those like Maquis crew members that were struggling with the like regulations and stuff. That one had a bit of a different spin on it, but I guess it sort of is in the same kind of mold. And then obviously this one is almost, I think, a direct, you know, take on the the classic Lower Decks episode from Next Generation. Yeah, I would say that I like this one better than Learning Curve, but I probably like the Next Gen one the best, which is just a, I mean, it's just a much better episode overall um kind of an interesting thing with these lower deck episodes is that uh, very rarely do the ensigns ever appear back on the show after their kind of moment in the spotlight um i don't think that any of the next generation people did or the learning curve people did but um tal celeste which is uh the the girl lower decker in this episode does end up showing up again in the haunting of deck 12 uh which i know is one of your kind of halloween favorite episodes to watch isn't it um it would make the list if i made it like probably top 10 right now they're actually one of the and one of the characters from learning curve does actually turn up one other time yeah i remember the bolian guy's name was i think like shell right something there was a like i think it was season seven episode he like he was in it very briefly but he was in it and they did like address him by name. And then I think he was also mentioned once uh, when I think when Neelix was like leaving, they were like, Oh, but who's going to take over the mess hall? And uh, someone mentioned like crewman shell was interested. Oh, okay. I think at some point he was like interested in taking over the kitchen and, and Janeway's like looking through like his like proposed like menu that he was going to do. And she's like, Oh, I don't know if I am ready for this red alert chili that he's uh, got on his okay. uh, menu here. <laughs> Good knowledge, Matt. I do not remember. I do kind of remember the red alert chili. Cause I feel like I've heard you make that kind of pun before, but <laughs> um, yeah, good knowledge. Uh, now, this episode is obviously inspired from the Bible. I'm not a very biblical person myself, but apparently I think the story as well as the name comes from um, a couple of different spots in the Bible. I didn't know that ahead of time. I had to look it up. Uh, Matt, have you ever read The Good Shepherd in the Bible? Or is it pretty much just what Janeway says it is? No, I don't have any uh, specific knowledge of that uh bible story no all right now uh, something maybe a bit more up your alley is that uh that window that uh, heron is looking at in the beginning of the episode like it kind of does like the outside of the spaceship goes in and you can kind of see him uh through the window apparently if you take it and cross-reference it with other shots of voyager that window shouldn't be there uh, now, did you pick that up? I know that you're kind of a big ship person, model person. Uh, I guess maybe not that hardcore to notice that they added an extra window for one episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to have a model of Voyager, but it has perished due to several moves and, and whatnot. 
So, I mean, if I still had it, I guess I could have, like, looked and checked the if that window was there. But otherwise, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I have the Eagle Moss Voyager, but I think it's kind of too small to really be able to see that level like of... The, magnif- yeah. the magnifying glass. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think <laughs> is I'm... Is there a window there? I don't know. That maybe is kind of more for, like... Uh, have you ever watched that uh, YouTube channel, The Trek Yards? As they kind of go through all the ships, like, super specifically. It's a pretty good show on YouTube. I feel like that's more up there, Allie. Uh, and the last little thing that I had kind of found out was um, there's a weird scene where Paris mentions that he bumped into Heron during a Borg attack, but it doesn't really stick with the, what we know about all the Borg attacks because all the ones that we saw, he was always at the helm. So what is your take on that? Do you think that he was maybe on his way to the hel- the bridge and they never showed it or it was like one that they never sh- like an attack that we never saw uh or is it just kind of like we're getting a little too deep here and we should just relax on the canon and chronology uh it's, i would say it's maybe it was an attack we didn't see yeah i feel like th- he was he was like rushing to get to the bridge and then like you know bumped into him or whatever all right did you come up with any other background development stuff or was that mostly it Nothing else that uh, that I could dig up. Pretty, I mean, I think we found that in these later Voyager episodes, there isn't usually a lot because I think it's all just such a it's such a well oiled machine at this point that they just sort of go and they do it. Exactly, it was such a machine. They were just pumping episodes out, and yeah, there's not a lot of background information, but some interesting pieces there. I'm not really uh, not really too shocked or anything, but kind of cool. All right, Matt, let's start with literally the very first scene of this episode, which I (laughs) was quite surprised with. And I also had a little bit of, I guess not PTSD, that's not the right word, but just a little bit of like anxiety building up as we get the, you know, panning ship shot zoom through the window which i mean we've seen it in picard we've seen it in discovery and i mean i hate it on both of those shows uh, and here we get it in on voyager in the year 2000 were you a little bit surprised by this were you like loving the the glory that is the intrepid class voyager uh, or did this bring back too many bad memories from new trek well, when I saw this intro, I was like, Andrew is going to love this. Andrew is just, <laughs> I could like, he, I could hear your teeth grinding as I was watching the this. The only thing they could have done better <laughs> is maybe if they had like spiraled it while they were going into Janeway's office. Yeah, if it started like with the Voyager upside yes. down and then slowly. Exactly. <laughs> like just make you throw up. Like, like, just completely barf your guts out as you're watching. And then when it gets to her, spin around her head like ten times. Well, yeah, have the camera, like, go around the table. Yeah, like exactly. Very quickly, like, seven times as her and Chakotay are talking about efficiency reports. Yeah, I like my, <laughs> I like my Star Trek camera or cinematography like I like rides at the fair. I just want it to be spinning and like I want to be in the salt and pepper shakers basically while I'm watching TV. Yeah. The Tilt-A-Whirl. This must be right around when that became possible, I guess. Because I feel like they did that in Star Wars too where they go into the ship through the window and you can see the actor sitting there. Um, I hate that shot. Man, would I love to just – if I could retire one – shot it would be that like through the window or the spinning cam is even worse but um yeah i was really surprised to see it and i i guess this would have been really cool back in the year 2000 
Well, I thought even now, like, it actually still looked pretty good. Like, it wasn't like it, it had looked dated or anything. It actually looked pretty cool when they when I when I watched it, you know, here, whatever, 20 years later. It felt like it was a little CGI-ish, though. A little, but it, it, it wasn't blatant. Like, it wasn't so bad that I was like, oh, my God, that looks awful. It somehow looked a little bit better than some of the Enterprise stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Five I don't know years why, earlier, why, right? What what the deal was with Enterprise? Some of that CG is Eesh, a little bit a little dodge questionable. Uh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> after that shot, we kind of get this interesting little thing, which I love because it's a little bit kind of like sixty spyish or like kind of something that you'd see in older television kind of thing like maxwell Smith. yes exactly where you see the <laughs> pad and it's getting passed around through all of the departments um and it kind of gives us a little introduction to the the the, the characters that we're going to be seeing in the episode um the only thing i kind of gripe about here is is that like is taking a pad around the ship like literally walking it the best way to transfer communication um or is this like don't they have email or text message or anything at that point in time <laughs> well yeah i mean i that's what i was kind of thinking too i was like oh do they really need to be carrying this pad you know around the ship i think it was there just to like kind of make a point and just kind of as you said introduce us to a couple of the characters and sort of how the things work and, you know, the kind of menial things that some of these people might be doing. But, yeah, it was a little bit like, uh, shouldn't that just appear on someone's screen? Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I also kind of feel like it's not really enough. Like, is this really enough for a teaser to just basically show a, a, a memo being moved around and then it being like, well, that's it. Roll the credits, guys. Like, I thought that there needed something a little bit more punchy. Yeah, it wasn't really much. It was just like, okay, we're going to send some power requisition all over the ship and then that's it. Like what, it doesn't really give you any kind of hint as to like what the episode is going to be about or what's going on. So yeah, it was kind of lacking a little bit in that way. Like if you were just a casual fan and you were watching this, I, I don't know that it would be enough to make you kind of flip it back to that channel, you know? You'd be like, am I watching Star Trek or is this just like some mundane? <laughs> it's like a how-to on 60s uh, office work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny actually because I, I don't have cable television anymore. Like it's kind of obsolete really with all the streaming. What, what is what is this cable? I, I've heard of it. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a little <laughs> antiquated. Um, but I actually went and I watched uh, Saturday Night Live. There was kind of a host that I wanted to see. And so I found it on, you know, whatever, whatever cable channel that it comes on here. And man, it was almost unbearable. Like to actually sit and watch the commercials, you kind of forgotten what it's like, or at least I have. And so to sit and watch it with commercials, oh, oh my goodness. Like I remember, I, I had like a, a vivid flashback to watching TV and like you'd be watching a show like Voyager. And then when the commercials came, you'd flip it to something else, right? And then, you know, you'd hopefully flip it back and catch it at the perfect time. But then there was always like those people that were like, oh, don't <laughs> flip it. I don't want to miss like one second of it so that you'd have to sit and watch all the commercials. So, um, yeah, I don't know. This would definitely be one. I'd be flipping the channel to something else to see if, uh, you know, see what the score of the baseball game was. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's uh, it was kind of a tricky one. There wasn't really much to it. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that the other thing, too, is that when you come back from the teaser and you get kind of this, like, late-night phone call between um, the two characters, one's the hypochondriac, so he's kind of phoning and saying, oh, I've got all these problems. I kind of liked that a little bit more. Like, I almost feel like that could have been the teaser, maybe drawn out or expanded upon a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on kind of that, like, late-night call? Oh, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, I thought it was... Uh... It was kind of cool that you get these, like, two of the characters in the episode are, like, you know, talking back and forth to each other, like, after dark. The other thing that I thought was neat was that both of them were sharing their quarters. I thought yes. that was a nice little thing that they threw in. So, like, the one uh, Celeste, he's, like, under the covers, and she's, like, working her pad, like, under the covers with, like, a flashlight. I thought that was a nice touch, too. Yeah, it was a little bit cheesy, but just in that perfect amount of way. Well, and it, it served a purpose, right? It wasn't just cheese for the sake of cheese. It was like, you know, we're making a pizza, so we need to throw some cheese on it. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I guess the thing about this particular episode is that it's slightly different is in the three are not really like best friends. Like the Mortimer guy is a total outcast. And they maybe are kind of like, hey, you know what? We're outcasts too. Maybe you can join up with us. But it's like he has no interest in it. Like he literally is the third wheel. Oh, yeah. He wants nothing to do with anyone. He just wants to be left on deck 15 to do, you know, to do all this crazy, like, advanced physics stuff, you know, and just leave him alone. Yeah. I, who is kind of your favorite of the three? I, I, I kind of tended to like the, the guy with the hypochondria, uh, especially since, like, um, I mean, I don't think up to this point we've really seen a lot of that in Star Trek. Uh, I know that we've kind of seen it since then. Uh, but I do like the idea that, you know, like traveling through space is terrifying and you are seeing, you know, all these crazy aliens and there's all these illnesses. And I mean, there's something ha happening basically on a weekly basis, it seems. So, I mean, the idea that somebody would have like super anxiety over dealing with that is something I kind of think is relatable. Yeah, I tended to move to, to sort of lean towards the hypochondriac as well, um, be, because he was still fairly competent. It was just that his hypochondria was getting in the way of him being an effective officer. And so and he had like a decent personality and he, he was kind of, uh, you know, interesting to watch. So I sort of gravitated towards him as well. Yeah, I, I feel like the Mortimer guy, they did a really good job of just making him so hateable. But I feel like Celeste may be a little bit forgettable. And so he kind of fits like that mama bear, papa bear, baby bear porridge kind of thing where it's like just the perfect amount. Um, you also get a lot of, I mean, they always do this with these lower deck episodes, but it's interesting to see what the Doctor and what Torres and what Paris and all the the characters that we know and love think of them, because then we can kind of base how we feel on their opinions. And it also gives that impression that, like, you know, we're not seeing everything that's happening on the ship. There's lots of stuff that is like behind the scenes, right? Like, uh, you know, this guy goes and he gets a, a checkup like every day or every couple of days. And the doctor mentions that he just basically, <laughs> you know, has to send him on his way with, uh, you know, positive vibes, right? Or, you know, Taurus has given up on Mortimer because, you know, she tried to give him extra work. It didn't work. And he's just, she's just like, yeah, forget it. Like, this is just what it is. Um, what were your thoughts on kind of that whole staff meeting, but talking about other people in the ship, which we don't really see a whole lot, really. I love that scene where, uh, it, I mean, it starts with Seven giving her like 
I, I use the term report cards, which I know you'll appreciate as a as a teacher. She's basically giving everyone a report card. Uh, and even Tuvok, who is like, she's like, yes, you're running at near near perfect efficiency. But she mentioned like something about how the phaser rifles were like stowed away. And he's just sort of like, you know, he's sort of like, oh, uh, well, I, I guess I'll look into it. Right. So even like Tuvok, who you would think as a Vulcan is going to be all over everything, even like even Seven was able to find something wrong with what he was doing. Yeah. Which I think was kind of nice that they didn't leave him unscathed. Right. Because it's very seven of nine to find something that even Tuvok can improve upon. Yeah, the smaller phasers should go in front of the bigger phasers, I think is what, what <laughs> yes, she found. Of course. Um, yeah, I love this scene, and I love that everybody kind of gets a little piece um you know we're kind of gathering up all this information we know these characters so well and so we're, we're taking everything in and i do love that chakotay makes a great point here about how you know there are a lot of people that were on this ship maybe weren't really going to be starfleet for life right that there are people that eventually leave uh just like in regular military service and go and do other things and he brings up the point that like well maybe we should just allow them to be like civilians on board and they can just do their own things right like this guy seems to be really interested in physics maybe he could just be a civilian and he could work on that um i don't know that i love what janeway says she's kind of like nope not doing that <laughs> we're definitely gonna just like uh you know give them a kick in the ass and here we go right um I thought that that was a really good point uh, that he brought up. Uh, were you kind of on board with Chakotay or Janeway here? Well, the other thing that Chakotay mentioned was that some people just aren't cut out for starships. Right, yeah. Right? So maybe maybe if they don't, if they can't function on a ship, maybe they've like assigned them to a, a star base or a planet or something. Um, or, or I guess in, you know, more extreme cases, they just end up leaving Starfleet. I thought that he made a pretty good point. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I I don't know if I'm totally with just, let's just sort of sweep them under the rug and forget about it. But I don't think forcing them to continue with their duties when they're not capable of doing it is the right thing to do either. Yeah, it's kind of a sticky spot to be in, obviously one that nobody was expecting when they had done this. I think at one point, too, one of the lower deckers actually says that they were only planning on doing like six months or something on Voyager just to basically fill a requirement for uh, a grant or, or something like that. So um, these are kind of the stories, yeah, that we don't really hear or think about because we're so used to everybody being so pro Starfleet, right? So um, it was nice to kind of see how the other half lives. Um, and I think that could actually be an interesting episode in the future but i think with new trek and only getting like 10 15 episodes you're never going to get something like that where you can really let everything breathe right so um i mean regardless of what anybody thinks the captain is the one that uh you know gets to decide and so she kind of invokes this good shepherd mentality which uh of course she's going to take them under the wing and go on this away mission I mean, it's the most Star Trek thing in the world that it goes bad. But what do you think of the plan of taking them on an away mission? Well, the point that she like she noticed that all three of them had never been on an away mission. And I feel like that if you're cooped up on a ship, that's like the most fun thing you could do. 
So I think maybe it's not a terrible idea to say, okay, I'm going to take these three people that have never been on an away mission. I'm going to pack them up, put them on the Delta flyer, and let's see if that sparks anything. Um, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. Yeah, it's kind of too bad it wasn't like a planet mission because I feel like you're just going from a big ship to a small ship. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like just give them a, like who knows? I mean, what's the worst that happens? They all have a terrible experience and you you learn that, okay, maybe there's nothing we can really do to to get these people to work better. And, you know, you go from there. Or aliens shear off the side of the Delta Flyer and they all die a horrible death in space. I mean, that could happen too. <laughs> Yeah, that's also possible. But then I guess, I mean, you'd have a whole new problem, but that would solve the problem of three underperforming crew members. <laughs> now, this is such an obvious kind of lower decks homage or ripoff or whatever. At the kind of halfway mark, are you feeling like this is working or are you feeling like, oh, this is just like the Voyager ripoff equivalent of TNG lower decks? Well, uh it, I thought it was good. Uh, it was, I think because it's Voyager, they're in kind of that unique situation where they can't just sort of sweep them under the rug or reassign them or just send them away. And so they do, you know, Janeway's in a spot where, okay, I have to do something about these, you know, these underperforming crew members because they're, they're, we can't do anything. We can't send them away. Um, so I thought because of that, it sort of gave an opportunity to put a, a, a different spin on it. Um, like I wasn't sort of th watching through this and being like, oh, this is just a ripoff of Lower Decks. This is just a ripoff of Lower Decks. Like it was unique enough on its own that it was still interesting and I thought it was still good. Yeah. Uh, what about your what were your kind of thoughts on the interactions between the Lower Deck people and the the, the more senior people uh i think that everybody kind of remembers that the the great part of tapestry the great part of lower decks the great part of um, a lot of these shows where you see kind of the ensigns is seeing the senior officers but through different eyes um did you get that sense when you know paris kind of talks to mortimer in the in the galley did you get that sense when janeway goes down to visit them on deck 15 or did you kind of feel like this was still more from the senior officer's perspective i that scene in the mess hall was pretty pretty funny when paris like they they basically dare him like torres and and kim they basically dare him to go talk to him and mortimer is just like go away leave me alone i don't want to talk to you uh, it was but it does offer kind of an interesting perspective on how the senior officers view them yes i thought the interactions between the senior crew and the the lower deck people i, I thought it was kind of interesting to see you know, how they kind of react to each other. You know, Mortimer was like super standoffish and abrasive. And, you know, that was that was how he acted towards everybody, really. Um, I don't know. I thought it was pretty, pretty decent. The thing that I feel like I, that's missing is that you don't hear them talking about the senior crew that much. Because that was the magic of the Lower Decks episode, right? Was that there was the, the Lower Deck friends and they were like, oh, you know, I heard Riker was like this. You should just go and ask him or you should just show up to poker or whatever it was. And I think that that was the interesting dynamic, right? Um, and I, I, I mentioned Tapestry as well just because like when Picard was the ensign 
and he was going up and trying to talk to Troy and talk to the more senior people, just the way that their tone changed from how we're so used to them talking with each other. It was really like, oh no, like you're a notch below, like you're a step below. And so um, there was that kind of distinction. There was just a little bit of that magic missing in this episode for me. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think I, I think maybe because it's such a small crew, you don't really get those sort of divisions. Because, I mean, if, on the Enterprise D, there's like a thousand people. So, so there's literally like people that you just never would have seen ever. Exactly, yeah. But I think on Voyager, like for, for these three people to exist and Janeway not to know about it, it would... It's kind of a thing where, like, it does kind of make sense that she would be kind of surprised by it. Yeah, because Voyager's, what, 250, 300 tops, maybe? Oh, I think it's even less than that. I think it's like 150. Oh, okay. Maybe start at 200 or something. They lost people. <laughs> yeah, they, they lost a, two, you know, a whole bunch of people. And shuttles. This is a good time to kind of talk about this away mission. I think that it's... Oh, it's good, but it's a little weird. Um, I think that, like, Janeway has got to be one of my favorite captains. I've said that before. But she definitely kind of flips and flops between kind of two extremes. Uh, in this particular episode, she's very motherly or very kind of like she's almost trying to befriend these lower decks people which i guess is the whole idea right is she's being very kind towards them um we get this whole bit with the trying to choose what food and she suggests what is it i wrote it down here neelix uh, 651 well the pasta soup yes the pasta soup uh, i wonder if that's in his cookbook <laughs> yes the famous uh neelix what was it called cooking with neelix cookbook or something yeah something that like that is, actually exists and you can actually buy I don't know. Maybe maybe it's in there. We'll have to find a copy somewhere and uh, look up Neelix 651. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Celeste is, oh, oh, that sounds like a great, like she's kind of doing the suck up thing. Um, and uh, the weird thing is, is that Mortimer, who is kind of the begrudging, they almost go out of his way to kind of be butting heads with Janeway here. What are your kind of thoughts of these early, like before anything goes awry scenes? Yeah, Mortimer, I wrote, used the word abrasive. He was just, it, it, he had no interest in being anyone's friend. He only wanted to do his, like, crazy astrophysics, and that's all he cared about. Uh, some of the early interactions were, were kind of cool. Uh, I liked how the, uh, what was the name of the hypochondriac? Was it Telfer? Telfer. Like, him and Celeste, I thought they had kind of a cool little... Like they were obviously friends beforehand, and I like kind of liked how that kind of played out while they were on the away mission, and yeah, the the interactions between Janeway and and Mortimer, like they were interesting because he'd be like going off on all these like big physics, whatever explanations, and she would know, seem to know exactly what he was talking about, and she'd be like, oh, maybe we can discuss it <laughs> yeah. at another time, and I was like, oh, this is like the classic Janeway knows all when it comes to science thing which you know we get throughout the series um so yeah like i thought the early interactions were actually pretty interesting on this away mission and there's that whole bit too where janeway's like oh where are you from i heard you grew up on this planet it's really great stargazing and he's just having none of it just like everything that she tries to do to kind of get in he pushes back which is interesting i kind of feel like you know should you 
should you, if you're part of Starfleet, have to kind of fit in? Um, or is, you know, do you have the right to just kind of be a loner? Well, I mean, it's like any other job, right? I mean, if whether you, you know, maybe you don't fit in socially, but you're still able to do your job. I mean, what are, what are your coworkers to do? Oh, well, I guess that guy's not coming to the pub after uh, work <laughs> on Friday, but hey, at least he does his work, you know, so. And of course, that's kind of the other big Star Trek trope that we get here is that, of course, they hit, what is it? It's a dark matter, antimatter, like sheer or something that rips off the side panel. And of course, this is the guy who recently wrote a paper about these particular <laughs> kinds of phenomenons and Janeway had happened to read that in her spare time as well. Is that like a getting a little bit too discovery level convenient or are you kind of happy to take that? That was awfully convenient. That is one thing that I was kind of like, wow. So there's like this obscure, weird, dark matter anomaly. And we happen to have two like experts on the Delta flyer at the exact time that they need to be there. That was a little bit, that was a tough one to kind of uh, accept. Yeah. And I have to admit that for me anyway, this is like, if you want to talk about kind of make or break moments, this, you know, uh, drama or like this kind of conflict is not really good enough for me anyway. Um, I don't really understand what's going on. Um, I'm having a hard time kind of grasping what these aliens are, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, there's like even that part where they like take the worm out of his neck. And I was like thinking that are these supposed to be like hostile or are they just in the wrong spot? Like it's so jumbly and quick that it, it, it reminded me more of, um, do you remember that Enterprise episode Shuttle Pod 1? Vaguely. Yeah, it's an episode where Trip and Malcolm Reed go on an away mission in like a little shuttle, and the shuttle basically breaks down, and it's kind of like Apollo 13 style, where they've only got so much air and so much water, and they're trying to drift back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of felt like maybe that would be better than this weird alien thing, because I don't know that it necessarily ever seems very dangerous. I do like it that it was the hypochondriac who got the like worm injected into him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah th that was the one part of the episode that i thought was kind of weak was that they go on this away mission they run into all this weird stuff that didn't really make a lot of sense they didn't really explain any of it uh the, the, the like worm thing like jumps out it attaches to the console and then mortimer like immediately like vaporizes it even though the and the captain like freaks out because she's like what are you doing maybe it was trying to communicate with us because that's what they always think these, you know, aliens are doing. And, yeah, it was the, the the sort of crisis that they introduced was a little bit weird. And they didn't really do a great job explaining it. It led to a lot of questions. Well, and, and not only that, but I feel like one of the things that is even worse than the conflict is that the resolution seems so fast and so... It's like they were like making the episode and then somebody said, hey, psst, there's only like one minute left. And they were like, uh, OK, well, we'll just like wake up back on the ship and everything will be fine. And then we'll hit the credits. Like, didn't you feel like there was no resolution to the whole Good Shepherd thing or the, the lower deck thing or like the insubordination of shooting that thing or any? It, they, they basically were just like, well, I guess that Good Shepherd idea sucked. 
oh well like off we go well yeah and there's also the whole bit where like janeway's like okay get to the escape pod and and you know i'll fix this and they're like nope we're staying and she's just like like shrugs her shoulders and she's like okay and yeah uh, yeah the ending it seemed very rushed you know they have this crisis and then all of a sudden you're like looking at the clock and it's like but there's like two minutes left what's gonna happen and then all this crazy action happens and they wake up in sick bay and and Janeway's like, yeah, I, uh, we, we ran into a wolf and then that's it. That's the end. It was just so rushed. Like, like, like you say, it's like someone like whispered to the director, like, Hey, uh, Weinrich, there's only a minute left. Like wrap it up. <laughs> I, I, to be being a hundred percent honest, I actually thought that I accidentally sat on the clicker. Like, have you ever done that where you like sit on the remote and it fast forwards like five minutes and then, like, I, I had to rewind it back, and I was like, oh, no, like, that's actually the ending. Like, they almost needed, like, the Monty Python, like, missing scene uh, <laughs> in between when they go to the escape pods and when they show back up on the ship. Um, yeah, they really kind of foobarred the whole Lower Decks thing, in my opinion. Well, the whole resolution of it is Janeway wakes up in sickbay and Chakotay's like... What happened out there? And she's like, well, the good shepherd ran into a wolf. And he's like, uh, did you find your missing sheep? And she's like, yes, I think I did. And that was it. You know, you don't see, like, she kind of looks over at them, like, lying in the bio beds or whatever. But that's it. You don't really know, you know, did they, did, did the hypochondriac suddenly get over his, you know, fear of being sick all the time because he had this crazy worm in his neck? You know, you don't really, you don't get anything beyond that, which is kind of a shame. It is. It really is. They might as well have just been like, and they were never seen again. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at the original Lower Decks, like there's at least that scene in 10 Forward where like, whatever, the one guy got his promotion that he was sort of working towards. And then you get that nice moment where Worf, you know, wanders over to their table and sits down with them. And, it, you know, it's it sort of gave you a sense that like maybe they had okay now that that guy had sort of earned his his you know at least some respect from the senior officers which is what he wanted the whole time as well as the promotion but here you get nothing it's just they wake up you know everyone wakes up in sick bay and that's it yeah they, they almost could have finished it with like a ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba -ba. <laughs> like it was or one that. of those like you know stingers for that kirk always used to have at the end of the original yes. series yeah, they maybe they should have had Janeway like sitting in the captain's chair and the entire crew sitting in a semicircle around her and have her be like, looks like the good shepherd found a wolf and then like looked in the camera and as it was like executive producer Rick Berman. They're all kind of like <laughs> wink, wink, oh, not, you know, oh, a yeah, wolf. they all do that fake laugh. Yeah. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Yeah, I don't know. They really kind of dropped the ball for the finisher for me. But, um, I mean, I think that the other thing that is hard to deal with is that, like, Lower Decks from Next Generation is just, like, a five-star classic, one of the best episodes of Star Trek of all time. Of course, you're going to compare it. And so when you get this cheesy ending, it just seems like it is lacking. All right, Matt, uh, we pretty much put a bow there on all of the uh, plot points, but I guess we could kind of just talk about the characters a bit more specifically. We've covered it essentially, but did you kind of have anything that you wanted to say about 
uh, I guess first we'll talk about Mortimer, maybe the actor's performance. You know, are you kind of uh, upset that this guy wasn't in more episodes or uh, more characters like this on Star Trek? What are your thoughts on, let's call him the begrudgeoned? I don't know if I really have a lot more to say about each of these characters specifically, but what I would say, like, as a group, I did like that they each had their own kind of thing. You know, there was the hypochondriac, there's the antisocial, abrasive, you know, guy who only just wants to sit in the bottom deck and do his physics. And then Celeste was, you know, we didn't really talk much about how she sort of had that, like, confidence thing where... Oh, they, you know, people are always having to check her work and she's always making silly mistakes because she doesn't have a lot of confidence in her abilities. Yeah, she's kind of like Boimler. What's, <laughs> yeah, but I, I like that they all had their own very distinct sort of uh, flaw, I guess that you could say, that that was key to the episode and that they were sort of working to overcome. Um, I thought the acting in general was pretty good. Like Mortimer was an awful person to be around. And I thought the other two actors did did a pretty good job here. I, I didn't like, there weren't any moments where I was like, ooh, that's some bad acting. That's some Jonathan Frakes level acting. Yikes. I, yeah, I like each of them as well. I don't know that they're the kind of characters that I'd really care to see again. I don't know if there's enough depth there, but they are definitely people that I think that I've seen in real life. You know, the begrudging person who gets along with nobody, the hypochondria, the suck up. These are kind of very tropey type characters, and it's kind of fun to see them running around in the Star Trek universe. The actors were well enough, and I don't really remember when Celeste was on the haunting of Deck 12, but I'm assuming that it's just like that part where they're sitting around the campfire. So um, this is probably as much acting as we're probably going to see any of these people doing. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty good. Um, I, uh, I liked all of them, and uh, like as much as I kind of gripe at star trek season six voyager like i love all this i really do um i'm kind of just holding it up against all like the top tier five out of five when i'm kind of making these complaints uh in terms of like just sitting down and watching an episode of television like i actually really enjoy um i really enjoy these kinds of episodes um what uh, do you have any other production notes i kind of felt like we maybe touched on a lot of them at the beginning of the show did you kind of come across anything of interest Nothing sort of production-wise, but there is a, a cameo if you uh, that I that I don't know if you caught it. Um, the only cameo that I kind of know as like a hidden one in Voyager is that wasn't there like the King of Jordan or something, and he was kind of in the background. Um, is that is it this that episode? I am not one hundred percent sure. Nope, that's that is one that was uh, there. There was a. I, royalty from somewhere in the middle east it could be jordan i'm not sure which country but you are right yeah he did appear in a voyager episode just as like a you know background ensign but uh the uh the the famous person that was in this episode and i mean i guess famous is sort of a relative term here but uh tom morello who is the guitarist of rage against the machine uh it appears in this episode. Uh, do you remember when Janeway goes down to deck 15, there was a bald guy with like a, a blue uniform. Yeah. He yeah, was yeah. sort of telling her which way to go to get to the room where Mortimer was working. That was, that was Tom Morello. Okay, cool. Nice, nice find Matt. 
Really? Yeah, cool. one of my uh, one of my favorite guitarists. Uh, he was uh, like I was a big Rage Against the Machine fan, and he was uh, he was very innovative with the uh, with the electric guitar. All right, good find. Um, okay, and with that, I guess we are at the end of Good Shepherd. And uh, so, why don't you tell me kind of your favorite scene uh, or favorite quote, and then you know what, just do it all, man. Give me your final thoughts and a rating out of five CGI worm aliens. Well, I think both of my most memorable scene and favorite line are both going to come from the the conference room where 709 is giving her report cards. Um, I I can't think now of what led to this or what uh, what precipitated this line, but at one point, seven of nine goes, uh, religious metaphors are irrelevant. I forget what it was that came before that. Though. I think Someone's... it was when uh, the doctor said idle hands are the devil's friends That's it. or something. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And then seven goes religious metaphors are irrelevant and then proceeds to just rip everyone for their, their lack of efficiency. Which is kind of funny because then the whole episode is based off of the good shepherd, which is a religious metaphor. But <laughs> I guess the whole episode is irrelevant. Then. Exactly. As far as overall, uh, I thought it was a pretty cool Voyager episode. Uh, we get a, a nice look at life for some of the junior officers on uh, on the on the Voyager. It it was a good sort of lower deck vibe. There were some uh, you know some fun scenes early where Seven gives her report cards to all the senior officers and points out all the you know things they're doing wrong and and so on. I thought that was a, a pretty good, pretty memorable scene. Uh, the only thing about this that I didn't really like is, and we talked about the away mission, it was really kind of odd and mysterious, and they didn't really ex- fully explain it. And, uh, you know, there wasn't really a resolution to it. They just kind of woke up in sick bay and everything was fine. Uh, but, like, that was the only thing that I really didn't like about this. Uh, I thought the underling characters were good. They all had their kind of, uh, you know, quirks and... Uh, you know distinctive characteristics which i thought was was good they weren't all just like the same person or the same kind of uh you know underperforming crewmen they all had their specific reasons for it and um yeah overall i thought this was just a a really good voyager episode and i am going to give it a score of a four cgi worm aliens out of five uh very good episode uh a lot of fun to watch all right, good stuff. Uh, my favorite scene was the scene in the galley with uh, Mortimer and Paris. Uh, they kind of trade barbs when he gets kind of goaded over into going and talking to him. Uh, and uh, I guess my favorite line for the episode was a line from Paris where he said, I guess I enjoy the view when he was kind of ribbing him about being down in the bowels of the ship where there's no windows, uh, I guess, other than in this episode. Uh, as an episode as a whole, it's just so voyagery, uh, and I love it, but... Um, it's just one of those things where I, I sit down, I get my big bowl of popcorn, uh, you know, and I, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it, but it's just not quite to the same level as, you know, some of the next generation, some of the deep space nine, some of the original series stuff that I really like. Like for me, this is a three out of five CGI worm aliens. Um, and the big thing is, is that it's just missing that little touch of magic. You know, I talked about it with the fact that there's just not enough and it's just too ho-hum. 
Uh, like for me, the original Lower Decks episode is like such a tragedy and it really kind of shows that, you know, no matter where you are on the ship, you are potentially in peril. Uh, and I can't remember her name now, but like kind of the main Lower Deck person, she takes on that mission knowing that it's dangerous and we see kind of the ramifications of putting her into that spot. And at the end of the episode, we all kind of, you know, take a step back and realize like, oh, this is this is legitimate. Like this is, uh, you know, very serious uh, stuff in an episode that's kind of, I would say is kind of more light, really. Um, this episode is kind of like the same thing, but without any of the consequences. It's like everybody shows back up at the end of the ship and they kind of wink towards the camera and, and, and away we go, uh, which is fine, but it's just not really to that upper tier for me. So I'm going to say three out of five, but I do love it. Like, honestly, for me, 40 minutes flew by like when i watch this the time just zips by and i'm like wow that was just an enjoyable watch all right matt that is the red alert siren which uh indicates the end of the show where we're going to reach into the very fitting new year's conical hat of episodes and pull out something fresh for you um do you have any wishes hopes or dreams for your first episode of 2021 how about another voyager season six just for <laughs> yeah. uh, the, just for the fun yeah of it. exactly go to extend its lead over uh the other seasons indeed so i'm gonna reach in here and i'm gonna pull one out um okay it is not Voyager. We're actually going to a place we have not visited in quite some time. And that, of course, is the original series. Uh, this is Early Days, Season 1, Episode 17. And I'm glad that you got this, not me, because I have no clue. The episode is called The Squire of Gothos. The Squire of Gothos. So Matt's going to just kind of collect his thoughts here uh, while uh, myself and you at home grab a sheet of paper. Uh, try to write down anything that you remember from this episode. Character names, locations, plot points, uh, and see how you fare uh, on the Squire of Gothos. Of course, uh, Matt here is going to get 60 seconds to uh, come up with as much as he can do. Um, we have not been to the original series since. Oh my goodness. I think that we had an animated series, but I think the actual last time we had... Uh, a, a yeah, it was Cat's Paw back last March. So uh, it's been a long, long time. Uh, I'm kind of itching to get back there anyway, especially since there's a good chance I've never seen this episode. So, Matt, I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock. This is gonna be this is gonna be funny. Okay, uh, you have sixty seconds starting right now. All right, I am gonna guess that the the Enterprise encounters a strange planet, and when Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down, they encounter like this medieval like planet where people are like dressed in armor and they're living in castles and and so on. And uh, they have to go up against this squire uh, who is holding someone captive that they need to rescue. And, uh, you know, Kirk ends up saving the day because he's able to, like, defeat this squire in a sword battle. And uh, Scotty will work some engineering wizardry to, like, beam them up off the planet, even though, like, for the whole episode, there's, like, some kind of weird shield that's preventing it. And uh, 
Dr. McCoy is going to say, I'm a doctor, not a swordsman, damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that is probably right, I guess. I don't know. I haven't seen this one. Uh, you were very convincing. If I didn't know... I've seen this episode one exactly one time. Okay, there are a lot of original series episodes where they go down to a planet and it's very Earth-like and it's from a very specific time period because somebody found a bunch of costumes and sets in the back lot at Paramount. So it could very well be that exact thing. Um, I guess you're going to just have to go and fire up the old television set and then join us back here in two weeks' time when we slice and dice and joust our way through the Squire of Gothos. Happy New Year, everybody, from everybody here at RTR. And uh, let's hope that 2021 not only brings kind of some prosperous new stuff, but also some good new Star Trek for us to watch and dissect. Yeah, maybe the Squire of Gothos will be on cable this week for those <laughs> yeah. of you who still have who who have cable. Yeah, you can watch. Hopefully, you can watch it over like two hours of commercials. Sounds good. Exactly. Yes, that's right. All right. Bye, bye, everybody. So long, folks. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. It's too much effort and I'm busy. I gotta get this done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had stuff to do. He had logs to plant. He had a ship to take over. <laughs> he had an entire plot to uh, to fill out and make everyone think that he needed to have a trial for mutiny <laughs> because exactly. that will distract everyone long enough for them to get to Talospor. He's busier than Prince Humperdinck. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Starpod Trek, a podcast exploring Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. So we're seeing that the early Star Trek conventions were were a nice balance between science fiction and real world science. And that was cool because the, because a lot of uh, Star Trek fans are interested in science, and a lot of, and I mean all of those um, science guests that were there probably were Star Trek fans, and and they they probably even said that that they got into to science because of their love of Star Trek. Loading Holosuite preview program for the Vedic Assembly. A Deep Space Nine podcast. We don't know what that Cardassian technology is, but it could, yeah. Do we need to know? No, nah. we don't need to okay, know. Just some bit know. of... Self-stealing, self-sealing stem bolts. Yes, it wants those self-sealing stem bolts. And <laughs> Somebody wants them. <laughs> because self-sealing, you guys. Yes. I mean, it's not just a regular stem bolt. <laughs> I don't know why you don't get why these are so valuable. Okay. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.